0: This is the Bearcast presented by Bird Colchian Ford. Bird Calhoun Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number 1 selling truck in Texas 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim 365, 365 Sports. We come to you following the first live action, the first real game of the 2022 season. The Baylor Bears, number 10 team in the country, defeat the Albany Great Danes last Saturday at McLean Stadium 69-10. They empty the benches. They get contributions from all over. And they had a lot of good things to say about it afterwards. Craig Smoke, Sikkim three sixty five radio three sixty five sports host, also Sikkim three sixty five rider, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter for Sikkim three sixty five. And Grayson, we're going to dive into it, spend a little bit of time on Albany, and obviously look ahead to what is a big ramp up in competition versus BYU, but. First things first, one game under the belt. Uh, How do you think the opening weekend went on your end?
1: Yeah, I mean, getting to watch football is always a positive and a blessing. And so, you know, getting to go into McLean Stadium and actually see some football be played and get to talk about football, I think is really cool. And, you know, Baylor took care of business as everyone thought they would. It really wasn't a competitive game. Um, But we got to see some young guys get in there. And I, I always find that to be the most interesting part of those week one games when you're playing a team that's not very good. You get to see some young guys get in and contribute who you probably won't get to see much throughout the year. Uh, There are a few that will, but for the most part, you don't get to see all of them. So in general, Baylor played really well. I felt like they looked like an improved team. And overall, I thought game day atmosphere was awesome. I felt like the place was rocking. People were excited. And when you get those things all together, it ends up being a great weekend.
0: Yeah, I thought the game day presentation was nice. Uh, I'm not going to pick it apart, you know, to every little level like, you know, Mm -hmm. regular season ticket holders will, as you know, people yeah. let their grievances be known, but I thought the new DJ was pretty good, like, as far as, you know, weaving in and out of the game and not being kind of herky-jerky. Now, there were some conflicts with the band, as people right. pointed out, but you can work that out. But I thought other than that, is like, oh, too much energy? Well, mm-hmm. that's better than having, you know, the wrong kind of lack of energy. So that was evident. That was notable. Uh, I thought just overall the presentation seemed pretty smooth just in terms of, again, just the entire sort of, uh, game atmosphere with the music, with the the berm looked awesome. I mean, that's becoming a really cool thing week yeah. in and week out. And, and yeah, just obviously everybody's really there for the game. And uh, that was one where I've said it like five times already this week, but you weren't sweating it unless you were just sweating outside because you were sitting there watching the game. But outside of that, you had little to nothing to worry about. And man, that is kind of refreshing every once in a while to just go to a game, watch the team you like, just win with ease and you know, send the other team packing and then go about your business and get ready for the next one. And that's kind of how week one went. And I think it was pretty simple and pretty straightforward and pretty successful. But now, obviously, uh, a whole different ball game coming up this Saturday. So let's get into Albany. We're not going to spend a ton of time on the Great Danes with all due respect. Uh, that's just the kind of game that it was. Blake Shapen making his first start. Um, like everybody this year, but you know, his first start since uh, the Big 12 championship game, which was only his second start ever. So, his third uh, career outing uh, as QB won 17 to 20, 214 yards, two touchdowns, uh, had a rushing touchdown as well. Um, he went out there and pretty much just, you know, Flash some of the skills that, you know, has the coaches excited, has people excited. We saw some deep balls, saw him, you know, hit Monterey Baldwin early on, saw him hit Hal Presley early on, um, shape and look sharp, uh, looked like the man. And uh, I think outside of just, you know, a couple of licks that he took from either not sliding or from a late hit, you know, pretty much everything you wanted to see from your QB one without, you know, empty the empty in the magazine, uh, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I mean, the hits that he took weren't great, for sure. He got yeah. sacked a couple times as well, but in general, I felt like it was a pretty clean game for him. Uh, he was the highest-graded quarterback on 10-plus yard throws, according to PFF, so that that's pretty cool to see, the downfield throws that were kind of a problem for Baylor a year ago. Um, they didn't create a ton of explosive plays in the passing game, and Shapin immediately uh, addressed that. You know what I mean? You, you look at kind of the throws that he made to Monterey and Hal Presley, I mean, those were dimes um, for touchdowns, and they were deep throws as well. So I came away very impressed with him. Now, again, if you look at those throws, guys were very open. In this game, guys, we're creating a ton of separation, um, but we'll see if they're able to do that on the road at BYU because the tighter the windows get, the more I'm a little bit nervous about you know, taking care of the football and about being able to, to make throws that are kind of game-planned um, instead of off-schedule throws. Now, there's a better chance that Shapen makes off-schedule plays than Gary did a year ago uh, because we've seen it. We saw it in the spring game. We've seen it multiple times, but I do think that it's still something we need to see more of, right, and more consistently how teams game plan for Shapen and this offense. Um, But, yes, I felt in general like he played really well, and Kyron Drones off the bench played extremely well, Also, 5 of 700 yards. Uh, He connected with Jalen Ellis on a 50-yard throw. So I felt like both quarterbacks played well. And I got a lot more confident in Kyron Drones after seeing him than I was initially going into the year. Receiving-wise,
0: or excuse me, rushing-wise, let's start there. Uh, The young freshman, the true freshman, Richard Reese, leads the team in rushing 62 carries on nine yards. Had a couple of touchdowns as well. You see why there's the Squirrel Williams comparisons Uh, Very similar looking just in terms of size. Maybe a bit sturdier, though, um, but definitely uh, a little bit of that talent was flashed in front of everybody's eyes, and and I think we could expect to see a lot more of him uh, as the season progresses. Quaylon Jones was running hard, six carries, 59 yards, and a touchdown for him. Uh, Monterey Baldwin had... A play very reminiscent to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Was just running free in in the open field. uh, Coming around end and uh, gets his first rushing touchdown of the year. Uh, Squirrel Williams wasn't expecting him to necessarily play. He gets a rushing touchdown. uh, Only three carries for Squirrel for 13 yards. But he did have a touchdown amidst that. And then both quarterback shaping and drones with uh, keepers for scores. So seven rushing touchdowns, 259 yards on 41 carries. Uh, seven touchdowns. You're like, ooh, big-eyed wow, that's incredible. It was a little bit more of a struggle for them to run the ball. They didn't just necessarily, you know, name their their yardage like you thought that they could probably against a team like Albany, so that is something that I think come out of this game, people were maybe not concerned about, but are a little curious as to, okay, why did we not look as dominant as I thought we would, or why didn't we rack up 400 yards on 41 carries? Uh, so maybe that's one area you go like, okay, need a little tweak in there, um, but good to see them basically empty the bench uh, with everybody, and um, you know, Tay McWilliams was a starter 12 carries 45 yards he was really one of the only guys to not find the end zone um but Richard Reese I thought looked good Quaylon Jones like I said ran hard and ultimately they got what they needed to but uh definitely not going to be the best performance out of the backfield we see this year and and it it will need to be you know one of the it, it They'll need a bigger performance at some point down the line.
1: Yeah, and I also felt like that was probably play calling and game planning. I think this was a lot of they could have ran more play action. Instead, they just decided to hand the ball off, you know, just because you're trying to get the game over with. You're not trying to run up the score on anybody. And so, and also, you don't want to show too much. And so I think that was a part of it. So, you know, getting stuffed on fourth and one, not great. Um, But on the flip side, it's one of those things where eh, we'll take that and then we'll just correct it next week when we run play action out of that and then get a first down. So I think there is some gamesmanship being played there as well. Um, You mentioned the Monterey Baldwin touchdown. Excellent block by Tay McWilliams. I mean he is the reason that play was that play. Like he made a sensational block. Um, You know 12 of 45. I felt like in general from the running backs, it's what I expected. Tay McWilliams, the lead uh, ball carrier. Richard Reese and Quaylen Jones, two guys who emerged and fall camp as we talked about they came out played extremely well and then squirrel you know when he got in there he was effective he just didn't play a ton but I think he'll play a lot more next week so in general like you said yeah maybe there were a couple issues here and there but in general I think this team's going to be very effective running the football and once they get Khalil Keith back they'll take another step in the right direction
0: yeah, and to be very clear, not making any rash judgments or, you know, sweeping observations after the game against Albany. I mean, that's just it, – it, it was what it was, uh, and they took care of the business the way they needed to. You expect the first game of the year is going to be little things here and there, and also, yeah, not showing your full array of, of what's at your disposal. It's game number one. Um, Receiving-wise, uh, they had over 300 yards through the air as uh, both Blake Shapin and Kyron Jones were able to, to wing it a little bit. As I mentioned, in 214 yards – Jones flat 100 uh, yards on the day. Uh, did not have any passing touchdowns like Shapin did, uh, but did have the running touchdown that we mentioned. And, and he did look good. But Monterey ball went 84 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Hal Presley a touchdown, 56 yards receiving for him on three care uh, three catches. Uh, Jalen Ellis had a late one. Uh, he had one ball go his way. It was late, like it always almost always is if we do mention him. It's late in the game. 50 yards on one touch. Um, I thought that Dave Aranda's quote about him was very, very telling. Uh, Yesterday during the press conference when he was kind of running down uh, what he saw from the wide receiver group, we can get to that in a moment. Ben Sims caught a handful of balls for 37 yards. We're going to see way more of him moving forward. Drake Dabney caught up one. Saw Seth Jones catch a couple passes. Tay McWilliams caught some balls out of the backfield. Armani Winfield's first career catch goes for 10 yards, and then Quaylen Jones even had a had a reception as well. So, uh, 22. Receptions for 314 yards, two TDs to, to Baldwin and to Presley. And uh, that was just like kind of your generic offensive stats. But uh, scoring wise in that game, it was the passing game that got things just lit right from the very beginning. And that was Shape and finding Baldwin pretty much right out of the gates for a 47 yard score. Uh, you had the fun Craig Williams touchdown that followed that shortly thereafter. And then Gavin William or Gavin Holmes with the uh, exceptional 72 yard punt return. Uh, That was your first quarter of scoring for the Bears. So they got offense uh, via, you know, the pass game and the running game, plus special teams via punt returns, all contributing to scores to make it 21-7 to because Albany did find their way into the end zone in that first quarter. I think that whatever bets were out there, they had to have upset some some folks, uh, you know, in the betting market because a lot of people not expecting them to pass, like, three points in the game, yet they were able to, after that fourth down stop that you mentioned earlier, turn right around and... Uh, a couple plays later score. So by the end of the first quarter, it's was 21-7. Second quarter, another big pass, 38 yards to Hal Presley, and then Blake Shapen with the quarterback carry. So it was 35-7 to at halftime, and you'd seen uh, a little bit of the passing game. You'd seen them kind of take control at that point, and I think by halftime, everybody was feeling pretty good and excited to see a Hal Presley and a Squirrel Williams and a And a Gavin Holmes out there is kind of the comeback kid story in so many ways.
1: Yeah, and I think looking at that wide receiver position, as you mentioned, and just kind of looking at the production, it, it was very similar to running backs. It was kind of what we expected, right? You got Monterey and Hal Presley being the dynamic duo that they are. I think they're going to be the two leading receivers for this team. And Ben Sims with five catches Obviously, he's going to be extremely targeted as well. So those three guys, and that's like, okay, but who else? Uh, Jalen Ellis and Drake Dabney, both of their receptions came with Kyron Drones. Seth Jones, one of his, or his best catch of the day, came with Kyron Drones as well. So they're going to need to kind of round out that receiving core a little bit more, uh, which is kind of what you mentioned. You know, Jalen Ellis, Dave Miranda talked about him as a guy that they kind of need to step up and they want him to continue Mm -hmm. to get healthy because his speed is on that quote. Yeah. His speed's a game changer. So I think his quote just, but Romero, when I write these down, it's more note style as opposed to exact quotes, but he says he's always fighting an injury. I think he mentioned ankle and knee, Um, but to get him running like that is good for our future. And I, I think that's a, that's a telling sign that they want his speed on the field and that they need his speed on the field. He also he also mentioned Seth Jones blocked well doing little things and that he's emerging as well. So we didn't see a lot of that, but we did see Jalen Ellis making you know a big impact in this game on one play. Now, can he do that with the starters? That's to be determined.
0: Yeah, he said, I think that he's – he uh, said – I think he's emerging, talking about Seth Jones. Uh, To have Jalen catch that ball, that was really neat. I think he's one that's always fighting something, some type of ankle injury or knee injury, and to be able to get him running like that, it's good for the future. That's basically what you said. But, he's, yeah, he's always fighting something. Mm -hmm. That was, yeah, it's kind of it's annoying. Like, you're always banged up with some injury, and it's not always his fault. But, yeah, you just kind of want to finally at this point, like, he's a junior now, right? You need to see him out there and contributing. And so to see him catch that that ball at the end was – uh, was certainly a good sign. So, just totally dominant in the first half. Um, it was thirty-five to seven. Baylor scored at least two touchdowns in every quarter of this ball game. So by halftime, it was just a question of, okay, you've seen all these highlights. Like, what more were you going to see in the second half? Who are you going to see in the second half? How long was Blake Shapen going to be out there? Those kinds of questions. Third quarter, uh, Monterey Baldwin's just Mr. Tone Setter because he had the big touchdown to start the game, and uh, then he did it through the uh, through the ground game to start the second half. A fifty yard run again. That was the you know the callback almost to the Sugar Bowl, just exploding around the edge of the offense and just finding a, a bunch of green and uh, running towards the end zone, fifty yards for Baldwin. Uh, so Baylor goes up forty two to seven pretty early on in the in the second half. Albany, to their credit, man, got a field goal, tacked on another three points, 25-yarder. Uh, so, 11-play, uh, 67-yard drive for the, the Great Danes It lasted over five minutes. So, at that point, you, you know, the game wasn't out of reach, but it was like, how many points are they going to find a way to score in this game? Uh, so... It was 42 to 10 at that point, and they were done scoring. <laughs> that, was, that was it. But you know what? They exceeded expectations, I think. Uh, because after that, Kyron Jones called his own number the nine yard touchdown run. Late in the third quarter, it was 49 to 10. And then the fourth quarter was basically just the running game show and the Richard Reese show as uh, Richard Reese, the true freshman running back, uh, caps off a uh, seven play, 61 yard drive with a one yard touchdown, the first of his career. Uh, just a few minutes later, Seven yard run caps off a very short uh, four play drive uh, to make it 63 to 10. So back to back touchdown runs for Richard Reese. And then Quaylen Jones got in on the action uh, to cap it off a 27 yard run uh, to make it 69 to 10. And then John Mayers misses the extra point. And uh, instead of it being a nice round 70, uh, it was 69 to 10. And that was all she wrote. So uh, special teams, uh, obviously. Missed extra point, but had the big punt return. And I think everything else was, was pretty much smooth from all indications. I'm sure they've broken it down to a you know, and much, they were rotating kickers, yeah, too to a much d- deeper degree. I don't think that too many were you know, focused in all that much on the special teams aspect of it, but um, looked okay there defensively. I don't think we saw a ton necessarily. And offensively, had to work some things out. Offensive line could certainly be a bit sharper and will have to be this week. Um, need those receivers to keep coming along and young playmakers, but, you know, uh, for a game against a team that you're expected to beat by seven touchdowns, I thought it was pretty well executed and pretty entertaining. Yeah, and you mentioned that field
1: goal that Albany had in the middle of the third quarter. Not only did they not score again after that, they didn't get another first down the rest of the game. <laughs> so, I mean, Baylor definitely turned, turned like, that it's page time to quick. end this. Yeah. yeah, and they kept giving up plays, and they, kept, they were done with that after that field goal. So, a couple things on the defensive side that I want to bring up. I don't. If you watch the game, Baylor was running a whole lot of the you know two jacks on the field lineup a ton. So you saw Bryson and Jackson and Garmin Randolph lining up on the end uh, with two down linemen, and I felt like that was really effective. And that's something that we expected to see this year, but it was really cool to see it finally on the field. Lots of speed there, lots of dynamic playmaking. Bryson Jackson forcing uh, the turnover early in the game as well. So I was. Curious to see how they would work that in. And they didn't just work it in. They were using that a ton in this football game. A couple other takeaways. Tyrone Brown is the backup um, at Mike. And Will Williams is the backup at Will Linebacker. So Josh White looking like he's on the outside looking in. Currently played a lot on special teams. um, But seems to be behind those two. At the linebacker position, we saw Matt Jones leave. I don't know if we've gotten an update on him, but he was walking around fine. So afterwards,
0: Aranda said there was no injuries, but we know that they're not necessarily the most uh, open with that. Yeah, and he was, you know, he went
1: to the sideline, was kind of upset, but it it maybe was just a stinger of some kind. He was walking around fine, so I'm guessing he's okay.
0: It's true. We also saw. TCU's quarterback, act like he had torn every ACL known yeah. to man, and it turns out he's going to be out for like a week. Right. So, yeah, who knows what Matt Jones was feeling. Yeah. yeah,
1: and then in the secondary, no Christian Morgan, but Dave Randa did say they expect to get him back this week. Very curious to see how that unfolds. We saw a lot of Devin Bobby coming in and subbing in for Devin Lemire. We saw um, you know, some Mike Harris as well. Um And Al Alfonso Allen, who had a sack in this game as well. Yeah. He looked like a heat seeking missile on that sack. So he looks like a guy who could play, but I'm curious if they shorten that group a little bit this week to just the four primary guys, uh, or if they continue to mix in the Devin, Bobby, the Mike Harris and the Alfonso Allen once Christian Morgan is back, that'll be something to keep an eye on. But overall, I felt like they played pretty well in the secondary outside of Lorando Johnson getting beat on that touchdown. And I believe it was Devin Neal who got beat by one of the tight ends on what was like maybe a 25 yard um, throw as well. But there weren't a ton of big plays given up by the secondary, at least to my eye.
0: And offensively, they made a few big plays. Um, so yeah. that was good to see. Um, certainly looked explosive with Monterey Baldwin. And um, yeah, they'll just have to continue, you know, polishing that offense and just as game number one. So I'm um, excited to see how they now perform on the road because that's what now lies ahead. Uh, you know, top 10 team, 1-0 now, but all off season, Oren has been talking about buffaloes and storms and running into storms and all these different ways that he's basically said, like, we're going to have to be better on the road. We're going to have to win on the road. And in order to find the success we did last year or to just forget last year, be the team that this team can be, we got to go perform well on the road like that has been something he has hammered home constantly no matter what phase of coverage we're talking about whether it was directly after the season wrapped up last year and it was like you know signing day time conversations or it was when spring ball opened up or it was post spring ball or big 12 media days fast forward into fall camp like it's been constant and now here we are and this in particular seems like the storm that he's been really preaching the most about because it's the first one and it's You know, a little bit unfamiliar because it's not a Big 12 team just yet, and there is that familiarity with Kalani Satake and all that they do out there uh, with that program, thanks to, you know, obviously having uh, Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes, but not to mention a couple Utah natives that they know that program very well were recruited by that program, like a Siaki Ika or George Maya, so... Uh, There's a lot of familiarity, that back and forth, and so I think that respect level's so high. You add in the road atmosphere, and yeah, this is a serious business trip coming up this weekend, which leads us into BYU, who debuted last week uh, with a nice, comfortable, uh, relatively stress-free on their end as well win over Gary Bohannon in South Florida. Gary Bohannon, former Baylor quarterback, not a great weekend for former Baylor quarterbacks. Charlie Brewer suits up for Liberty, gets hurt early. He's going to miss like two months Uh, with an injury. Gary Bohannon, uh, not hurt to my knowledge, but uh, just on a team that's not very good at all and is going to struggle mightily. And Jeff Scott's probably going to be fired before the year's over with if they continue on the trajectory of week number one. I'm not surprised. I just hate it for Gary because I don't see a whole lot of improvement coming their way. Um, anytime soon. Especially, especially
1: with the defense giving up eight and a half yards per carry. They were terrible. They're going to have gosh. a new coach soon. Yeah.
0: Um, so, that's unfortunate, but... That's what BYU was faced with in, uh, in week number one. They were able to walk out of that uh, with a the win. They're number 25 in the country, so this is a top 25 matchup, and uh, excited about that, but 50-21 to 21 was the final score. They did win on the road uh, in Tampa. Uh, Gary Bohannon just 17 of 30 for 172 yards, averaged less than six yards per pass, no touchdowns. Uh, one interception. He had a QBR of 7.2, so just a bad, bad day. But uh, They got payback, definitely. They got payback. Oh, yeah, for Gary, last year, for yeah. Sure. yeah. No yeah. no doubt about it. Uh, USF just runs for slightly over 100 yards, throws for less than 175. Uh, so BYU is going to face a much tougher challenge this week, and so is Baylor. And so that's what's going to be interesting is both teams are coming off of just handling their business. Both are confident. BYU has the, the home edge. Um, but outside of that, Um, it's all a guessing game on on how this one's going to shake out, Grayson. What we do know, BYU comes back loaded with talent. Jaron Hall at quarterback, a good player. Uh, Dave Aranda made particular mention of him. Uh, No Tyler Algier in the backfield this year. He's off to the NFL now, but they did bring in the transfer and Christopher Brooks, who had 135 yards and a score last week. Uh, you have the big-time wide receiver in Puka Nakua, who was just a pest last year uh, against Baylor. Uh, he has been kind of on the injury report off and on, like uh, was hurt prior to week one, ended up playing last week, but still, like, doesn't seem to be 100%. He Well, he – was 100%. He looked amazing when
1: he was on the field, but then he left the game and was on crutches. On back the to sideline. not 100%. Yeah, right. So so that's
0: a huge question mark for them. If he can or can't go. He was somewhat doubtful last week, but right. played like you said. So now doubtful because he may have re-aggravated something or re-injured something. But that's certainly a player to keep an eye on. Um, but he had uh, just one catch last week, but he did get into the running game. A couple of rushing touchdowns, 76 yards on just three carries, so you got to be aware of him. And there's a bunch of other guys as well, but uh, those are some familiar names from last season that will certainly play some type of role in the game this week, you would think. Yeah, and
1: also Gunner Romney, who didn't mm-hmm. play last week, but uh, Kalani Satake said that he's close to coming back. Now, does that mean he's close enough that he's going to play this weekend? We will see on that. Um, I would assume so. I think he's going to play. Just because if you're going to hold the guy for a game, it would probably be
0: to hold him for this game to play in this game.
1: Yeah, he also said on Puka it was precautionary that they took him out and that he could have come back in the game. So, again, I think both are going to play. Yeah, I would assume so. Play versus being 100% are two totally different things. So we'll see how they look in this game. That would be a huge loss for them if those guys don't play. Uh, You mentioned the Cal transfer, Christopher Brooks. He's a very good running back. Very, very good. And and they also have Lopini Katoa, who was on the team last year, uh, who ran as Tyler Algier's backup. So they have a very good run game. Dave Randa mentioned they're going to want to run the football. They averaged 8.5 yards per carry against South Florida. It all starts with the run for them. But make no mistake, this is a dynamic passing offense. Jaron Hall, very, very good player. Another mobile quarterback that Baylor's going to have to play against, which they didn't look great tackling the quarterback position in this first game against Albany. They're going to have to shore that up a little bit against Jaron Hall. And I think the biggest kind of my thought process on it is I think Baylor's going to be able to somewhat take away the run game. But where I'm fascinated is in the passing game. If Baylor's secondary, these cornerbacks, the safeties who we talked about all offseason as they've made big strides, but you never know what they're going to look like when they face an elite offense, and BYU has an elite offense, and they're going to take shots, they're going to run play action, they're going to create misdirection, they're going to confuse the secondary at times, and so it's a matter of how they respond and how they react. I'm just kind of... So intrigued by these cornerbacks, LaRando Johnson, Mark Milton, Tevin Williams off the bench, A.J. McCarty, and then the safeties, you know, Devin Bobby, Devin Neal, Devin Lemire, you know, how they respond to this passing attack that they're going to see on Saturday, I think is going to be the key to the whole game.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fascinating early season matchup. I mean, on paper, I go with Baylor, and I feel very strongly about that. But you throw in the wild card of just a very inexperienced secondary and some young guys going into what's going to be a heated environment for the first time. It's only week two. Um, Yeah, and they're going to be playing against some grown men, you know, in comparison. So, uh, yeah, BYU last weekend rushed for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, uh, primarily coming from Brooks and Nakua. Uh, And then uh, through the air, Jaron Hall, uh, helped contribute 261 yards and, and two scores. So uh, a lot of receivers involved, you know, 10-plus receivers getting their their hands on at least one pass last week. So I uh, wonder how much they'll get off the bench this week. But, yeah, that offense is something that's going to be a, a real challenge for, for this Baylor defense and Ron Robertson company.
1: Yeah, I'm very curious, though, because last year Baylor ran for 303 yards on BYU. And I know the final score was 38-24. to 24. They scored late. That game was really a 20-point difference. Baylor really dominated that game. And both teams are returning so much on the offensive and defensive lines. It really just makes me sit there and question, you know, why shouldn't Baylor be able to go do that? Why shouldn't they be able to do this, the exact same thing they did a year ago and not have too many issues with it? But I think it's the road environment oh, that yeah. is really changing some things. Because if you look at Baylor's schedule last year, you ready for their road wins? At Texas State, twenty-nine to twenty. At Kansas, forty-five to seven. Then you got to scroll all the way uh, down. Two
0: of maybe one and two as far as the worst programs in the country over the last right. couple of years. Right, and then at Kansas State at the end of the year,
1: twenty to ten. Those were their only road wins a year ago. That's just crazy, to me. They lost at Oklahoma State, twenty-four to fourteen. They lost at TCU, thirty to twenty-eight. That's what they've done on the road. And I know they were so good last year, went twelve and two, but they didn't do a whole lot on the on the road at all. And I know they won neutral site games in the Big Twelve Championship and Sugar Bowl, but it's very different winning a neutral site game versus going and winning on the road. Baylor has a lot to prove in this game from that aspect.
0: Yes, they do. Right now, uh, looks like BYU almost four point favorites. Yep. Uh, it's only Tuesday, so we'll see how that. I, I would expect that to inch closer towards it's been Baylor. Growing. It was really? two and a
1: half. It's been growing. It okay. went up to three, and then three and a half. It's it's been trending in the direction that it might close at four or four and a half for BYU, which I found very very interesting.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, that would only. I mean, the only reason I would think uh, in line with that would be there's just something that we're not aware of, like some like bugaboo that's that's hiding in the closet like that's going to come out and scare Baylor when they arrive in Provo or something that's going to completely rattle them road 915 game yeah even then though I still don't think that I still like Baylor's odds but um but yeah I understand why there's there's cause for concern and yeah I definitely am not thinking that they're going to just walk in there and handle their business and walk out with no issues I think that yeah it's going to be a really tough environment and I think that if they earn a win it's going to be you know done in you know, very uh, stressful, grueling fashion. Uh, they're going to walk out and feel like they were just in a war and, and hopefully come out the victors. But, yeah, this is not going to be uh, an easy contest this weekend. And if it turns out to be for Baylor, then I think that bodes obviously incredibly well for the rest of the way because this is kind of that uh, – it's week two. You know, we don't overreact over week one, but this does kind of set the table for the year. Like, this game does. It's, it's that, like, okay, there's that unbeaten path. That's, you You know, you want to stay on, and then there's that, okay, what do you do if you're 1-1 one one after just two games? Like, that completely resets the the line of thinking as far as, you know, the outside and looking at their season and their path and everything. Uh, can ill afford with a road-heavy schedule like this to drop the very first road game out of the gates. Right, you become Utah, who yeah. lost
1: the first game of the year, and everyone's sitting there going, like, well, their season's over. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and it, I'm not saying it is over, but I'm just it's saying, really like, not, people yeah. sit there and go, oh well, you lost the first game you're going to have to win yeah, 12 that's, in a row. Wow, that, <laughs>
0: that playoff's really cool. We, one week in, we're already saying, oh, season's yeah. over with. Yeah, that's that's fun.
1: Yeah, but it, it's one of those things with the Pac-12 and the, the state of it that it, it's, it it is very tough to recover from an early, early season loss. Um, so we'll see if Baylor can avoid that. I, I think the more that I look at this game, the more it reminds me of last year's game where it's like BYU does very similar things to Baylor, but Baylor's just better at them. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I do think the road environment plays a factor, and I do think BYU is going to be excited for this game. But I also think Baylor's going to be excited for this game. You got guys going home, you got a new offense that looks just far more explosive. And I think they're going to take advantages uh, when they can in the passing game. And I think Blake Shapin's going to show uh, the country a little bit more of kind of why Baylor made that move from Gary Bohannon to him in the offseason.
0: Yep, it is a, a big time challenge, uh, but one that they seem ready for and one that they, you know, seem pretty good uh, sta- they seem to be pretty good standing coming out of game number 1 as far as his health and confidence and focus and all those types of things. And again, this has been a game that in so many ways Dave Aranda's been preparing them for for the entire off season. Yeah. Storms, Buffalo's, all that goes back to, to what they're now getting ready for this week. So uh, I think preparation-wise they'll be in a good place, but you just never know a young people inexperienced going out on the road in a hostile environment and just what that can do, and big mo and how that swings. So I think that's going to be obviously a, a big part of the story this weekend. So there's BYU. Um, I guess uh, – what do we need to do here? We got Big toll predictions at the end. We, Mail we already back. We already ready for mailbag. Let's get I into the mailbag. So, yeah. Go ahead and fire that first one off there, Grace.
1: Okay, the first question from the bare minimum <laughs> is BYU better than Albany? Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> They're probably fifty points better than Albany.
0: <laughs> uh yeah, probably somewhere in there. I mean, I think it would be a similar result if they were to line up like Baylor did last week yeah. against Albany. I think you'd see, you know, I don't know if about it, like a seven touchdown uh, spread, but somewhere in that vicinity, absolutely, I think you'd see something similar to that. So uh yes, big, big ramp up in competition, uh bare minimum. Thank you for that question. Uh A Bear two. There's an ongoing debate on 365 about Aranda's pension for following the statistics or formula on going forward on fourth, even on his own side of the field. I know context matters as to whether it is the last two minutes and the score, but generally, what are your thoughts? And you, you loosely touched on this earlier. Uh, beat, uh, Albany's one touchdown drive was, uh, you know, a couple plays following a big fourth down stand for them. Um, Baylor deep in their own territory, like around the 30, right, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, ends up going for it. And uh, early on that game, get absolutely stuffed. A couple plays later, touchdown, Great Danes. Uh, so that was certainly when you talk about the fourth down calls and the rolling of the dice, that's the one that stands out from week number one. But uh, what do you think uh, generally about Dave Aranda's penchant for for going for it on fourth down
1: yeah you know i I think this is one of those things where hindsight usually tells the story which is a problem um but like last year when they were playing oklahoma state there was one that just stands out in my mind i think they were on their own 35 and instead of punting and and driving oklahoma state you know deep into their territory and being able to get the ball back rather quickly because the defense was playing so good they elected to go for it and that was a mistake. You know, it gave up points, and I just think, in general, there are times where it's good and times where it's bad, and so that makes it hard to kind of generally talk about on a um, without going case by case. But I would say that in general, I'm in favor of going for it. I think analytics make a lot of sense in this department, and I think for the most part, Dave Rand and Jeff Grimes have really taken advantage of the analytics in a favorable way. Um, but at times, it has bit them a little bit, and so. I, I like the aggressive mindset, but I would also say in some situations, I definitely don't agree with it. And that Oklahoma State one is the biggest one that stands out in my mind. I'm trying to think. I think there was one against BYU last year where they went for it and Gary threw an interception on, like, the one-yard line looking for yeah, Ben Sims. I, I think you're right. And you could have yeah. just taken the field goal there early in the game. There are just times where I, I kind of look at it and go, eh, maybe we we'll just take three points. Um, and maybe just move on from there. But um, at other times, I understand it.
0: He seems bulletproof, but even he's capable of making the wrong yeah. choice, and even the numbers can lie sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah, I did think that was a situation um, last weekend where I was like, man, you're a little deep in your – like, I understand. But you are a little deep in your own territory. Like, you're definitely not doing this against probably anybody else left on your schedule. But
1: they did against Oklahoma State. I know, That's but the... it's
0: just like, yeah, you. Yeah, I, I know. I just <laughs> – I, I, after that last week, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I think that's probably the last time we're going to see maybe a gamble like that, you know, we'll in the near future. We'll see. We'll see. Might
1: um, happen this weekend.
0: It might. <laughs> and it might go the same way and it might blow up and it might be something we're talking about, you know, in or, a bad way. Or, or, or it might be an Abram Smith
1: 50. Well, squirrel yeah. now, but against Oklahoma state fourth and two, they ran the toss play Abram Smith 50 yard touchdown. So it's just one of those things where it's all about hindsight. And that's yeah, of the course. problem. <laughs> that's the problem with it.
0: Uh, Scotty B the Baylor King. What is the ideal number of passing yards? The Baylor defense allows to give the best chance to win. Um, I mean, Jaron Hall had like close to 400 yards last year, passing the football. So, um, you know, they won that game with relative ease and he threw for a lot. So I don't know, keep him under 400. That would be a good start. I do think if you get past 400, then we're starting to get into the yards where scores are have to, will have to be occurring at some rate, but um, yeah, I don't have an ideal number in mind. I guess I guess sub 400 certainly, though, would be a good start. Yeah, so he threw for 342 yards
1: last year, and he also ran for, I believe he had a huge rush, didn't he? Um, it seems like he did. Yeah, he had the long run. So he was eight. <laughs> this is a funny set. He was eight for 25 yards and a touchdown, but his long was 56 yards. Yeah. So he lost just eight. On those other seven carries, he lost 30 yards uh, because it was sacks. You know, Baylor had five sacks in that game. I expect more of the same in that department. But as far as passing the ball, I mean, he had a 95.6 QBR in that game. I mean, he was balling um, in that game for BYU. I think, you know, if you can keep him below, you know, honestly, I think it needs to be more like, you know, 320. They need to keep him you know, below 320. If he starts getting up into that 375 on the road in Provo, that's going to be a big problem for Baylor, I think, especially if they're taking shots deep and those turn into touchdowns. Uh, that could be a big problem. So I'll put 320 as a number where I'm like, Baylor needs to keep him below that.
0: Yeah, that seems like a, like a safe number there. Uh, Scotty B. also asked, surprised College Game Day won't be at BYU this week. I am a little, but I know there was an incident recently with an alleged racial slur at their volleyball game against Duke. Um, I'm not surprised because uh, Texas-Alabama's this week, for one, and there's some other good games as well. Um, so, no, I'm not surprised that, that Provo wasn't on the top of the list. I certainly don't know that – Because that happened so closely, uh, you know, date-wise, I don't know that that had any impact because I feel like you'd have already had to set a lot of that up, Um, but if it did, I wouldn't, you know, also be shocked by that because that was a story involving their volleyball team uh, a week or so ago where uh, a black player for Duke was apparently getting heckled pretty openly by a BYU fan and... Uh, the way it was portrayed, and I don't know I wasn't there was that like nobody really stepped in to stop it, the harassment and it just kind of went on and um, I just I, when I read that story, I was like there's no way that happened the way that it was outlined, right? Like people just sat there and let that occur. And so I don't really know what what happened ultimately. I do know like Don Staley in South Carolina what refused to go play there. Um, and so there was there was some fallout from it and definitely not a good look for BYU. But I don't know that I would say that's not why that's why college game day is not there. Um, but who knows? Might have contributed.
1: Yeah, I think uh, ESPN would be lying if they said that this Alabama-Texas matchup wasn't already going to be the game day spot yeah, before the season. Sure, exactly. Like, it, it didn't matter unless Texas went out and lost to UALM Monroe. This was going to be. The college game day
0: uh, choice, and that's fine because they don't always care about who's the best. They, they care don't. about the most money and the numbers, yep. and that's and all. Great when you really think about it, and you ask these questions about conferences and the TV games and ESPN and all that, it's just money and numbers, and that's why you could be Texas or you could be Alabama. You could go Ofer for like ten years straight, and your numbers will drop, but ultimately win a couple games and fire up the band, and the juggernaut moves along and. The cash cow continues, but I
1: was told late night is all that matters, and so that's why I was thinking. You know, it could be BYU and Baylor because it's late night, right? Yeah, that's all well, yeah, that big
0: about. that late night window. <laughs> that's that's all that you know. The the college, you know. TV operators won is that big late-night window. Apparently. So, anyways, I think
1: for Baylor going forward, though, they do have the Oklahoma State game on October 1st, and I think that's a good chance that they get game day. I'm not saying they for sure will, because I believe NC State plays Clemson that weekend. Um yeah, NC State might, and Clemson they, yeah. might.
0: Like, both of them, uh, you know, no no knee-jerk, but that was not a good showing for those two ACC teams this yeah, week. Yeah, and Clemson plays Wake Forest the week before, and I have a hunch that
1: that could be San Hartman's return, and Blake could be undefeated at that point, so maybe they get it the week before. And then I don't think Bama will get it that weekend because they already just got it. So October 1st is the one that I'm circling as a potential uh, college game day for Baylor.
0: And, yes, I know that both teams won, NC State and Clemson, but it just wasn't very pretty Um is no. what I'm getting at. For NC
1: State especially, oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, um uh,
0: not a great game for Devin Leary or, or the Wolfpack in general. They have expectations, so – Don't roll with them when they have expectations is kind of the the theme around NC State uh, that I picked up on. And also with with Clemson, I mean, it's just that was obviously a, a preseason ranking That some people seem to put a lot of weight on. Um,
1: Kate Clubnick needs to be their quarterback. But yeah,
0: the DJU is just not, I guess, just not the same kind of machine, smooth operating machine that it has been the last few years. Like it looks like a team who's lost a lot of major parts to the machine over the last couple seasons, uh, whether that be coaching or players or whatever. It's like a team with a bunch of talent. But like the fit and flow of it all, I just I don't really see it right now. But yeah, Kate Klubnick came in and and looked good there at the end. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see on the on the ACC and how that that sort of shakes out because some of their big competitors did not look great in week one. But again, it's only uh, week number one. Uh, so Dak JD 90 watching drones play, although against bad competition, I think it'd be a shame having him transfer as I see a lot of potential there. You would think he played baseball with the fastball he throws. Do you think he sticks around after this year and makes it a three quarterback competition when Novosad comes in, or do you think he transfers to a less competitive quarterback room where he will start? Yeah, I'm not going to speculate on anything like that. I just I don't
1: I don't see the need to do that. He played very well and he looked like a guy who's improved a lot. And that's all you can hope for. And I I think right now, he's the second-best quarterback on Baylor's roster, and we'll see what happens in the coming years. If he continues to be the second-best or the first-best or the third-best, we'll see what happens. I think in general, though, it's nice to see Sean Bell is developing these guys really well. You know, Blake Shapin looks improved, um, and I think Kyron did as well. And you're exactly right. The fastball that he throws, that is something that Kyron does need to work on his touch. Everything is a bullet, and that was something that kind of Gary struggled with at times. Um, But Kyron's still a young guy, and I I think that touch will come, and I enjoyed what I saw. He's got phenomenal arm talent.
0: I'm going to skip to Brown BW to close out the questions about Kyron and just keep that loop together. Not staff, but my thoughts on drones. I think everything hinges on this year. If Shapin stays healthy and drones doesn't get much playing time, he leaves next year. If injury shows its head and drones takes over, he may stay. So there's just speculation, Mm -hmm. and like you, I'm not going to really get involved in that. It's game one. Um, you know, if we ran with speculation, Jacob Zeno would have been the starting quarterback the last <laughs> couple of years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's just let it play out. Um, and it doesn't really need to be a conversation following week one. I mean, it's I understand the conversation on the message boards, but in terms of, like, this, the big picture right now, like all that's going to get sorted out eventually. Um, yep. It's not going to get decided after just a game. But I understand the – The curiosity. A of Blue 82, when you look at BYU, what area unit does Baylor have the biggest advantage? Conversely, where is the biggest disadvantage?
1: Yeah, I, I think Baylor's biggest advantage is defensive line versus BYU offensive line. I think we saw it last year. They had five sacks. They really shut down the BYU running attack. Tyler Algier looked just normal. I mean, 15 for 33 in total. They had 24 carries for 67 yards, and they gave up five sacks. I just think Baylor is better up front and i think they're going to see a much better Gabe Hall on Saturday than they saw a year ago and i think you know Siaki aika is going to be a beast as well and and i just i just think in general this is not a great matchup for BYU up front conversely for Baylor the biggest disadvantage it has to be if BYU is healthy at receiver it's receiver versus cornerback i think that's where they hold probably the biggest advantage now i'm not saying it's a massive advantage But I do think it's an advantage, as we saw a year ago when Baylor's corners were even more proven. They still got beat a lot. So we'll see if Baylor can adjust this year.
0: Yep. Um, Beyond control of the line of scrimmage, do you have an X-factor that will look back on the game and say that was secretly the reason we won or lost?
1: Ooh, beyond controlling the line of scrimmage.
0: Um, I'd say penalties could be one of those.
1: Yeah, penalties could be. I was going to say turnovers.
0: I, I mean, I think like that yeah. kind of goes hand in hand True, when you're on the road, like penalties and turnovers, but outside of your, your level of play, I think that's where typically you find yourself in the most yeah. trouble. I would also say, you know,
1: third down conversions, putting yourself in position to convert third downs is going to be massive. I just think it's those little things, but if I had to pick one, just kind of looking at the grand scheme of things, I actually think it's going to be red zone efficiency who's scoring touchdowns, who's kicking field goals in the red zone, I think will be highly impactful uh, to see who wins this game.
0: Call your shot. Uh, so basically all the things that almost, yeah. almost always normally matter, but especially magnified on the road, per- penalties, turnovers, goal line, you know, uh, efficiency, uh, red zone efficiency, you know, all those numbers that kind of swing things one way or the other outside of the normal yardage and, yeah. you know, things of that nature. Uh Let's see. Call your shot, leader in receptions, carries, total yards from scrimmage, tackle sacks, and inter- I mean, just I guess everything. Call your shot in yeah. everything. Uh, receptions. Ben Sims. Um. Yeah, I'll go with. Yeah, I'll go with Ben Sims too. Carries. Tay McWilliams. I'd say Tay. Total yards from scrimmage. Monterey Baldwin. Um. Yeah, that seems like a safe bet. Uh, tackles. Who? Uh, Dylan Doyle. I'll go Matt Jones just for the heck of just doing something different. Sacks, Gabe Hall. Uh, yeah, um, they're not a big sack team, are they? I mean, they can be, but I don't know who else I would throw in there other than Gabe Hall. There's DJ, so many choices: Matt Jones, Dylan Doyle. Yeah, they uh, all just seem like more tackle for loss guys and sack sack guys, you know. Um, yeah, Matt Jones seems like a Garmin. safe bet. Yeah, let's go Garmin Randolph. I mean, who cares? Uh, inter- I mean, I mean, I, I might be right. I might be wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to be dismissive, but, like, what does it matter? Uh, yeah, Garmin Randolph, uh, interceptions and pass breakups. Devin Lemire. I think he's going to get tested a lot and have
1: a lot of opportunities to make some plays deep downfield when those corners are tested.
0: All right, and uh, I'll go with uh, Al Walcott. So there you go. Uh, appreciate you, AF Blue eighty two, uh, Brown BW, not staff. My thought, okay, I already read that. Baylor Bear eighty eight. What's the latest on injury status for Nakua and Romney for Saturday? If either is or both is out or limited what might that mean for Baylor's defensive approach versus
1: BYU yeah so I mentioned this a little earlier but Kalani Sitaki did update a little bit on their status a few days ago so Nakua he was on crutches after the game but it was held he was held out for precautionary reasons it seems like he could have come back in and played so by everything that he said I believe he's going to play and be fine for the game uh Romney uh, the quote was, he's close, um, so we'll see. I-, I think he's probably the more iffy one, but I bet he plays. Um, if they're out, I mean, that'd be massive. I-, I think Baylor would just basically game plan to just shut down the run and force whoever the receivers are to beat them, uh, maybe even with one high safety looks. I mean, they they could, I think they would absolutely feast if those two guys are out, Um if they're limited, I don't think they'll be limited to the point where they don't look good at all. So I think it'll be the same approach that they would have whether they're 100% healthy or not.
0: And just a bear in a frog world, spill the beans. What's your favorite <laughs> tailgate food? Ooh, that's a
1: good question. Um, I, you know, tailgating, I, I really like nachos. Nachos are kind of where I'm at. You don't get to see them that often. You don't get them that often, but nachos on a game day are pretty pretty terrific.
0: Yeah, I like uh, I like off the grill like uh, sausage links. Mm. Uh, like yeah. nice ju- especially when you buy like juice, you know, like yeah. that nice juicy sizzle that you get. So that always seems like just all like memories come flooding back when I <laughs> bite into like a sausage link hot off the grill at a, at a tailgate. So yeah, that's that's what comes to mind first for me. Um, and I don't think you really can go too wrong there whether it's got a little bit of cheese in it or a little mm. bit of jalapeno whatever. Um, concoction, um, but yeah, that's that's normally a go-to, so I uh, did see a lot of people out there tailgating the other night, I mean, I never typically had the opportunity to really uh, scan that scene too much because we're doing the show here and then making our way over, and by the time we get through traffic, it's like kickoff time when I walk through the door, it's like I'm in the elevator and they're they're almost kicking off already, um, but it did look, best I could tell, like a pretty fun scene on Saturday. Crowd stayed longer than I anticipated, and I thought everybody had fun, and it was great. Uh, so kudos to the you know game day management staff for making it a a setting that people want to just hang out and just watch you know a blowout commence and not, uh, you know, pack up and all be gone by halftime. You know, certainly some people made their way back, but a good number stayed to the end and uh, made it a fun atmosphere and, uh, you know, fun tailgate area as well. So very cool to see that. Uh, Passed with flying colors, I think, week number one, and uh, certainly – uh, we're, we're all, I think, nervously anticipating the game this weekend, knowing the impact that it could have on the season, knowing the ramifications, and just knowing the challenge that it is. So uh, very excited to see how the next couple of days play out news-wise, if we get any injury updates or not, and, um, you know, any curveballs. And then we'll see what happens uh, late Saturday night in Provo, Utah. That's one thing that, that Aranda did point out as sort of one of those disadvantages of those things unique to this game is you're sitting in your hotel room all day long. I mean, when do you finally head to the stadium? It's like seven thirty at night. You're still in your hotel room. It's like when do we, you know, when do you play the football game? And then finally, like nine thirty at night, in a time zone that's already an hour behind. Like that will screw your body up, man. That will screw your your thinking up. So that's that's just another challenge you might not think of. The altitude. I mean, there's there's these little things that that can add up if you're not prepared, but they sound about as well-prepared as they could possibly be. So let's get into the uh, Big 12 picks to close this one out, Grayson. All right, so Big 12
1: picks for week two, a big week in the Big 12. Everybody's playing this week and a big week in the non-conference department, especially so the first matchup at 11 a.m. on Fox, Alabama travels to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns. Who you got in this one,
0: Craig. Uh, Roll Tide. I think Bama should win this one and ultimately win this one pretty handily. Uh, It was fun to finally see Quinn Ewers. Uh, He was not Superman. Um, But you know what? I'm definitely not expecting Texas to win this game. I don't think we'll hear any Texas back, but this is totally the type of game where they will play well or Alabama will not play all that well. And they'll play close enough, and that will inspire hope and confidence. Whether that's you know based on solid footing or not remains to be seen. Um, so that's I think what you're looking for. If your Texas is almost like a moral victory, because the actual victory is probably not in in line. Um, but you know Alabama's got to still go and handle their business. So we'll see what happens. But I definitely uh, believe it will be an Alabama win and and handily at that.
1: Yeah, I got Alabama 44 to 20. I think Texas will keep it close for three quarters. And like you said, I think they're going to push bama a little bit in this game just because they always get up for some of these massive Mm -hmm. uh, non-conference games so i could see it but ultimately bama is just awesome this year so it's not a great time to play the the tide in my eyes next up missouri travels to manhattan to take on kansas state also at 11 a.m on espn2 who you got in this
0: one who's this again missouri at kansas state um Oh, Big 12 matchup, huh? Uh, Kansas State, I'll go with them. Uh, although, you know, the whole big rah-rah debut, they're the hidden team that's going to surprise everybody. I don't think Adrian Martinez really lit the world on fire in his debut. That was more Nebraska than new era Adrian that people were hoping for. Uh, I mean, again, it's week number one, so a lot of knee-jerking. But, yeah, Deuce Vaughn's awesome. I think K-State's got a lot of talent. Uh, I think this will be an interesting contest, though, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this one uh how this one shakes out, but I'll go K-State. Yeah, Missouri hung
1: 52 on Louisiana Tech last week and and really blew them out. I think Adrian Martinez is going to have to play a lot better uh, than his 56-yard passing performance that he put on this past weekend. I think Kansas State wins this game. I think they cover the spread, which I believe is 8.5, but I do think when you look at the score during the day, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, we might see an upset here. But I think ultimately Kansas State, the veteran team, I think they get it done. 31 to 21, in what is a uh, somewhat close game. Next on the schedule, Houston. By the way, Missouri picked off. Uh, do you know
0: the quarterback that they played last week? At Louisiana Tech. Yeah. Matthew Downing, remember he used to be at TCU a couple years back? Yeah, threw three picks in that game. So, yeah, Missouri feasted on on those turnovers.
1: Well, the next game up, Houston travels to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. This game's at 3 p.m. on Mm -hmm. FS1. Houston just knocked off UTSA in what was a thriller, and Tech, on the other hand, destroyed Murray State. But they are without Tyler Shug for the next three to six weeks, even though Donovan Smith honestly looked better.
0: Yeah, I, dude, this is gonna be really hard for me picking tech games because I almost feel like I talk myself out of what my brain would normally just function and tell me um, whether right or wrong. Because here's the deal: is like I feel like I'm too harsh on tech because I'm viewing it from like a too much of a microscope with Joey McGuire and then and trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, but also being realistic of like, hey, this wasn't like a build it from scratch project, which I've kind of been repeating over and over yes. again. And then we got close to the season. I'm doing my predictions. I'm like, well, I don't see them really being better than like eight teams in the Big 12, but I don't see them being terrible either. And so I don't know. I'm kind of battling myself on being too harsh or not harsh enough. Um, but out of last week, I think that Tech's got a really good chance to win this game, primarily because Houston was in a dogfight last week with UTSA. And also because I think Donovan Smith's probably their best quarterback. Uh, so now you get rid of the whole who's the quarterback, and it just the decision was made for you basically. And Donovan Smith goes out there and compiles a handful of touchdowns, throws for four. Uh, he's a big body. Um, he's got a lot of confidence, and I think he might have ultimately been the starter by the end of the year anyway. So I think maybe we just fast-forwarded the process a little bit. Uh, so I'm going Tech um, based on just their offense. Um, I I think their defense is solid enough. It's going to be in Lubbock. I think the atmosphere is going to be insane. And Houston was, you know, in a, like I said, in a dogfight last week. So I think Houston should win the game. Like, if you're like, who's the better team? I think it's Houston. But given all those factors, I think I'm going with Texas Tech here. And Tech's the favorite by three points going into well, there this you go. game, which is rather interesting. I was
1: curious because uh, when we talked to Taylor McCarg last week, he mm-hmm. said that the competition he didn't feel like was that close. Like, that Tyler Shug was the better quarterback out there, which I found really interesting, especially coming out of the game. And it makes me wonder if maybe what we saw from Donovan Smith isn't actually who he is or who he has been throughout fall camp. Perhaps. We'll see on that. Or they fed him a load of lies. Or they did. Yeah, Yeah, you're exactly right. My only issue is Houston gave up 337 yards passing to UTSA a week ago, and Tech is going to throw the ball and throw the ball and throw the ball a million times. I think Tech's going to win this game. Uh, if you're betting it, just take the over because these two teams are going to put up a lot of points. I like taking this one 38-35. It'll be a good game, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think there will be some defense played, but ultimately they're just going to run a lot of plays. I think both defenses are actually okay. Uh, like, It's not going to be like one of those, like, you know, just can't stop anybody. I think there will be some stops, but I also think it's just going to be so fast-paced. and and yeah. But, you know, maybe they bog it down. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting game. It really is because, yeah. like, they could go a variety of different ways. But I do like Tech's, you know, ability to win this game, and I'll pick them to win it. Um, it would be a huge win for McGuire. And, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't be so dumb for basically saying, like, there's no excuse not to be a bowl team this year, basically, for them. I'll revert back to what I was you know, was saying during the offseason because on paper, this wasn't like Matt Rule taking over or Dave Aranda in a COVID year or yep. those types of year ones that you're used to.
1: Yeah, next game on the schedule, Iowa State travels to Iowa, 3 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. Iowa State, easy one in week one. Iowa... With a weird seven to three win in which they had two safeties and a field goal, gave them their seven points. <laughs> Who do you got in this one in a game in a series that's been dominated by the Hawkeyes recently?
0: Matt Campbell, if you don't win this dadgum game this year, did you watch that offense you're playing? Seven points. You know how many touchdowns they scored, Grayson? Zero. Three. Yeah. You got seven points thanks to multiple safeties. That is a disgrace. That yeah. is an absolute coaching disgrace I understand that Kirk Ferentz is a lifer but his son's the OC Mm -hmm. and that just you know just further complicates matters but that is a disgrace in a modern day college football game and you're not playing like Georgia's defense to put up seven points in a football game and four of those came from safeties a disgrace Iowa State if y'all do not win this game man I'm telling you what I'm they better win this game. They better win this game. You know they're not going to, right? They, they better win this game. They're, they're not going to win. If they get this outscored game. by freaking Iowa, who couldn't manage more than a field goal last yeah. week. They're-
1: They've lost six in a row. Not, I don't care. They better winning. win this
0: game. They're not winning this they game. They better win this game. Yeah, Matt Hunter Campbell, Deckers, I believe in you. Come on.
1: Yeah, Matt Campbell hasn't been able to win this game in a long time. Uh, since 2014, that's the last time they won this game. And Iowa has had teams that were not as good as Iowa State's team, and they still found a way to win this game. I- I'm taking Iowa. I think it's going to be a disgusting game. It's going to be hard to watch, but I think Iowa gets it done and probably – I'm gonna put just a weird score on it, just because I feel like that's the way this game's gonna go. I'll put it a 19 to
0: 14, and I'll give Iowa the win. I, I, again, I have a lot of respect for the career that Kirk Ferentz has carved out, but that is just that is not real football. I mean, like that's not not even like Pop Warner would say that's good football. If we could bring him back, you know, like Red Grange, all those guys, it'd be like this is awful television. But they have an elite defense, and it's gonna be a problem. But Come on, Iowa State. I mean, come on, seriously. Uh, But, yeah, I'll go Cyclones, but I totally understand where you're coming from. Next on the list is Kansas,
1: who looked really, really good in week one. They're traveling to Morgantown to take on West Virginia coming off of their backyard brawl loss. Uh, This game's at 5 p.m. on
0: ESPN+. Who you got? Oh, gosh. Uh, Kansas and West Virginia. Um, i got to go with West Virginia here. I I like that Kansas was able to take care of business and do so without a whole lot of drama. Um, West Virginia, I don't think that they're a great team. I still have them in the back end, along with Kansas, kind of in that same vicinity. Like, Kansas is my last team until they're they're not the last team anymore. But uh, West Virginia, JT Daniels looked better than he really was because – their quarterback play has been so absolutely poor the last couple of seasons, but he's still a good player that I think's got some fun weapons. Uh, they got you know some good pieces on defense as well. I just think they have more talent overall. And Neil Brown's got to win this game. But I do think Kansas will make it a little little fight, though.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be a, a solid game. I think ultimately West Virginia will pull away, though. I, You know, I liked what I saw from Kansas, but that doesn't mean that I think they're a team that's going to consistently go on the road and be right. in every single game that they play in. Um, so I'll take West Virginia in this one, 37-21. Um, so close, but I think the Mountaineers pull away late. Uh, next game on the list, Kent State. Uh, goes to Norman to take on the Oklahoma Sooners. This game's at six PM on ESPN Plus.
0: Well, OU will win this. Name your score. Um, they really do have an easy schedule this yeah. year uh, on paper. Um, it was fascinating. And look, I had this weird uh, mixture of being not only an OU fan but also having covered Baylor for so long that I have been able to witness like the whole era of you know Baylor being the best offense in the country or arguably the best offense in the country and seeing the upcoming rise of guys like Jeff Lebby and Kendall Browles and all those guys, and now you see them disperse around the country. And here's Jeff Lebby now back in back in the view, uh, back in the Big 12 with Oklahoma and basically getting to the point of it was just so weird to see OU Twitter last week. And they're like guffawing in the best kind of way over like – 30-second touchdown drives, and, you know, like all the stuff that basically a decade ago we were talking about with Baylor football is now, like, they're new, right? And it's just kind of funny to see that all come back swinging around, you know, all these years later um, to where now they're running the the Baylor offense, so to speak. But, yeah, I, I think that they'll, they'll name their score here. Uh, they're not going to, you know, be challenged um, week in and week out uh, with this schedule, and they'll be able to have some games like this uh, where they just kind of – you know, do your typical like 67 to 14 and, you know, the game lasts four hours and everybody's got 100 yards receiving and rushing and the box score is crazy. And um, you walk away after four and a half hours of a blowout and you're like, that was fun, cool. I mean, that's, that's – It's what I expect.
1: Yeah, I liked what I saw from Oklahoma in week one. I I felt like their defense had more of an identity. Um, They just looked more solid. And offensively, they ran the ball well. Eric Gray looked far improved uh, from what he was a year ago, which was nice to see. So, uh, I got Oklahoma winning this one 48-17. I think uh, it'll be another easy win, just like last weekend. Yeah,
0: they're going to blow them out. Uh, I think the spread's like five, six touchdowns at this point. I just wonder how much like Baylor of the old days are they going to be? Like, can they keep up the defense? end of the bargain and have a nice balance but like but can they also avoid the pitfalls of you know penalty issues and some of those bugaboos They games when they
1: can't run the ball games when happens?
0: they can't run the ball what happens like can anybody even force them into that situation yeah. but yeah right out of the gates you no know, absolutely they look like a, a threat they got a really nasty offense and defense you know on paper and so we'll see we'll see but uh, this week's not going to be a game that will really tell us a whole lot Nope. Next game on the list. Arizona State traveling to Stillwater
1: to take on Oklahoma State. This game's at 630 on ESPN2. Oklahoma State uh, gave up a lot of points
0: in week one. Do you think that's kind of who they are? I think that's, uh, yeah, a little bit of who they are when you lose Jim Knowles. Uh, I think that there's naturally going to be some regression. Uh, You look at what he did with Ohio State already. He's already, you know, making some fans out there in Columbus, Ohio. Um, But, yeah, I think that uh, just king of adjustments, right, Uh, Jim Knowles. But I think that, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a step back even when you bring in a Derek Mason. I also think that they're pretty much – they are who we thought they were. And this is the Spencer Shander show, right? So there's going to be great segments and there's going to be bad segments. And I think, uh, you know, last week they were coasting and then a few things go wrong and all of a sudden they're scrambling to secure a win at the end, but... Uh, I'll take them in, in this game. Arizona State is a dysfunctional program at the moment. I understand they got to win in week number one, um, but give me the Cowboys uh, all day long in this one.
1: Yeah, I think Oklahoma State's getting too much flack for what happened in that game. It was 51 They were crushing them. It, it was over. It, it was over. They brought in the backups for a little bit as well and then had to bring Spencer Sanders back in, but... Also, don't forget, Central Michigan was 9-4 and four last year. Mm-hmm. They were not a bad team, and Oklahoma State was absolutely routing them. I think people are getting too caught up in that and are thinking, ooh, Arizona State, sneaky. They're going to come in and beat Oklahoma State in a road game at night in Stillwater. It's not going to happen. No. Oklahoma State's going to blow them out. Um, I got it probably something like 41-20. to 20. Um, I-, I think Oklahoma State handles business in they got, this game.
0: They got close because at the end – Central Michigan outscored them 22 to 7 in the fourth quarter, but they still lost by 14 points. Yeah. So. I mean, how close was it really? I right. mean, it was close enough to have a little bit of a panic, but not like they were on the goal line with time running out to try and win the game. Not at all. Uh, next game is kind of a snoozer. Tarleton travels
1: to TCU to take on the Horned Frogs. This game's at 7 p.m. on ESPN+.
0: I was kind of surprised at how much TCU struggled offensively. I mean, credit yeah. to Colorado a bit, but, you know, obviously now they've been forced to hand as far as the quarterback situation with the injury. Um, so I'll be interested to see kind of, how the, uh, how the TCU offense looks this week um, because they're kind of hard to peg exactly who they are just yet because it's all very new and they were definitely feeling their way around. You know, Darius Davis is obviously a good player. Like, you know some of the names, but yeah, Colorado's not very good at all. So I don't know really how much I learned about TCU last week.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know either, but I know this game is going to be a blowout. Um, Sixty-two to seven is kind of my thought process. But you're right. Sure. You know what do we know about TCU yet? I don't think we know a ton. Um, we'll know more soon though, because they have SMU very soon, and SMU looked like a team that is going to pose some problems um, for them. Final game on the slate, game of the week: Baylor travels to Provo to take on BYU.
0: Nine fifteen kickoff on ESPN. I'm going Baylor. Uh, I just think they're, you know, the better team. The only thing that gives me pause is night game, Provo, you know, just different time zones, different environment, different this, different that, uh, different challenges. But, you know, place this game in Waco, it's not even a question in my brain. Place it in Provo. It's only a slight pause uh, before I immediately go back to Baylor winning this football game. I do think it's going to be a war. I think it's going to be, you know, they're going to walk out of this one some some bumps and bruises for sure, but I do think they walk out with their hand raised. Yeah, I think so too. I got Baylor winning this one
1: 34-27. Um, I, I do think Baylor wins this game by at least a touchdown. I, I just think they're the better team And they're so similar to BYU, they just are better and have more talent. And I think ultimately uh, people are really going to learn about Baylor's defensive line in this game. I I think they're going to dominate BYU up front. So it's going to be, they're going to be very reliant on Jaron Hall to make a lot of throws. And I think eventually they're going to run into problems and maybe have a turnover or two that Baylor capitalizes on. So yeah, I like the Bears to win this one as well.
0: All right, uh, and whether they do or whether they don't, we will be back here next week to talk about it. Uh, either a one and one Baylor team that's going to have to, like, look in the mirror after a disappointing loss on the road because they're not expecting to lose any this year or, you know, anticipating losing any, of course. Or they're going to come back, they're going to be 2-0 and with a massive top 25 win right out of the gates. So that's kind of the direction they'll take. And uh, obviously, most important thing other than, you know, getting a W is, you know, staying healthy, and we'll see how they can come out of that. Um that trip and and how they look on the other end of it. But, man, just really kind of already ready for it because you kind of know what's on the line, and yet we still have another four days to go before we get to see this. So going to have to be patient, which will be tough. But plenty of other things to talk about. did want to mention before we go uh, the sad news about the passing of Guy Morris. That was announced uh, on Tuesday morning. Uh, Passed away, apparently, the former Baylor head football coach after a battle with Alzheimer's, which is just the – Absolute worst. Uh, knowing people who have dealt with that in their, in their lives, uh, just don't wish that on, on anybody. Uh, so obviously a uh, big outpouring of support. Uh, For Guy Morris uh, all over social media today and I just want to wish his family uh, the absolute best in a very trying time. He was a head coach from 03 to 07 in Waco and was obviously just all over the game of football in general, all over the country, all over the map, all over the the different ranks but uh, he did have a bit of time in Waco, Colorado City native. Uh, so salute to him and and rest in peace. Yeah. Really sad story there. So yeah. Prayers for his family,
1: of course. And just, um, yeah, sad time, but, but also, you know, good to honor his memory right now.
0: Absolutely. So, um, you know, there's a lot to uh, look forward to, a lot on the boards, a lot of articles, a lot of, uh, I don't know, Grayson, you tell me, a lot yeah. of things for people to look forward tons to. Tons of articles, tons of
1: content on the premium side of things. We just are churning out content thanks to all of our writers and, of course, Jack who edits pretty much everything um, and Colt as well and just, you know, managing everything and making sure we have tons of content for you on the premium side. So if you haven't checked that out, please do. I promise you'll enjoy it. Um, and then also 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, three to six, tons of news and interviews. And if you want to just hear more college football takes and information and news. That is definitely the place to go.
0: Yeah, it seems like we'll start to deviate a bit away from all of the recurring realignment chatter now that the season's here, and and that started dissipating. It even looks like the Big Tens may be backing away from some of that now, which is nice that you can just kind of let the games be played. So it was fun and refreshing to have that going on. But of course, it's college football. So whether it's that or it's some new rule passing or some new playoff idea or whatever, like... There's always something to talk about these days with college football, and I'm just glad that a lot of the conversation is going to be based on things like what we saw over the weekend. So great to have it back. Great to have a full crew here behind the scenes helping us out uh, with uh, uh, Garrett, Jack, and Jacob here today. Uh, Thank you to Grace and Grunhafer, and uh, definitely check out Sikkim365.com for all your Baylor athletics news, notes, and conversation uh hopefully you'll join the premium section that's a good way to support the site and support the show and support all that we do but until next time for grayson and the rest of the guys i'm craig smoke this has been the bear cast on 365 sports sikkim 365.com